0: Our passage this morning is Matthew 11, 1 to 24. When Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, John began to, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? you will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Lord God,
1: you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. In your kindness, you came down to earth, offering forgiveness to set up your kingdom. God, I pray that we will recognize this kindness. And God, that we will repent. God, I pray for our hearts and minds to be open to you. Would you bless the preaching of your word and conform us to the image of your son so that we may continue to walk in the way as we follow Jesus Christ and him crucified. In his name we pray, amen. John eight bugs, fully organic, non-GMO, responsibly harvested, antibiotic-free, no hormone added locusts. And instead of getting his clothes from American Eagle, he got his from Jerusalem camel. And his message to the Jews was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this causes quite a stir. He's a pretty eccentric guy, isn't he? He baptizes people in the Jordan River because, well, maybe there's something to this crazy prophet. Maybe we should do something about it. Maybe the kingdom is coming. We better get ready. And then he declares from Matthew 3, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And that causes an even greater stir. Perhaps finally we would be out from under Roman oppression. Perhaps Finally, God will set us free, and the Spirit of God will come back to the temple. Maybe we will finally be the kingdom and the nation we've always meant to be. So you pay attention to John, because he's promising someone else who's going to come. You follow him in his journey. You, you see that he keeps baptizing people, and then one day, this man gets baptized by John. And as soon as he comes out of the water, the heavens open and a voice from heaven comes down and speaks and says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. And the spirit of God descends upon this man like a dove. And this this blows your mind. This, This is the one, this is the one that John was telling us about. This is him. This is the one who's going to set up the kingdom. This is the one who's going to restore Israel to its full glory. David's throne will be established and, and we will be the mighty nation we were always supposed to be. So now you watch this man. and His name is Jesus. And you're going to see, you're watching how he's going to establish his kingdom. And what does he do? Does he raise up an army? Debate the leader's to gain political authority? Does he work people up in a frenzy to overthrow the government? To your disappointment, he instead teaches. And not only teaches, but teaches about loving your enemies. He teaches that his kingdom citizens have to be poor in spirit. He heals Gentiles and befriends tax collectors and prostitutes? Where's the fury? Where's the judgment that John was talking about? Where's the, I thought this guy was supposed to clear the threshing floor, right? And, and burn the chaff and, and gather the harvest, That's what John said he was going to do. Where's the fury? Where's the judgment? And where's John? You hadn't seen John for a while. They're calling him John the Baptist now. Well, his big mouth got him thrown in jail by the local Jewish king, Herod Antipas. He was in prison for calling out Herod for marrying his sister-in-law. So John's in prison, and Jesus is talking about loving your enemies. This kingdom isn't quite what we expected. And from today's passage, we'll find out we're not the only ones who are questioning the kingdom. Jesus is just finishing, uh, he was teaching his disciples about the coming persecution of all things. And goes on to teach some more in the surrounding cities. And on this journey, while he's going around the cities, he is approached by some of John the Baptist's disciples who are delivering a message from John to Jesus. We're going to have kind of four sections, four scenes that we'll see in today's passage. And our first one is John's doubt, starting in verse 2. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? The message he sends to Jesus is, are you really the promised one? Or should we be looking for someone else? John the Baptist was doubting Jesus. Notice how Matthew refers to Jesus in verse 2. He refers to him as the Christ. He doesn't use this title for Jesus very often, but when he does, that, we need a clue into that. He's wanting us to, to feel the full weight of that title. He's trying to emphasize who John is questioning. He's questioning the Christ, the promised one and John knew who he was. We just read about who he said he was going to be from Matthew 3. Remember how Jesus described when he first started his ministry, he said, "This man was going to baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire." So John knows Jesus is the Christ but the kingdom that jesus is supposedly king over is not measuring up to john's expectations john's expecting jesus to john is expecting jesus to come with fireballs from his eyes and bolts of lightning from his mouth so it makes sense why he's doubting where's the fire breathing king who is going to clear the threshing floor of the wicked John thought the kingdom was going to be one of judgment, not joy. He thought it was going to be one of punishment, not, not pardon. He thought it was going to be one of retribution, not restoration. And John knows, Isaiah 61:1 I'll have it up here for you on the screen --The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is talking about the Messiah, the Christ. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This is what John's expecting, to, that this Messiah is going to come and set the captives free. Yet here John is in prison under a false king. What John expected and what he's hearing the kingdom to be are two very different things. So he questions Jesus. So now the question is, if John the Baptist, this really important figure, is questioning the one who he is forerunning, how is Jesus going to respond? Verse 4. And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear and the dead are raised up. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. What does Jesus do here? He owns his accusations from John. He confirms all that John has heard about, right? And he does so by quoting Isaiah. Isaiah 35, 5 through 6. It's really kind of a a really close parallel. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. He says, John, you've heard right, and this is what was predicted. I'm fulfilling what was predicted. And then he subtly rebukes John in verse 6. Look at verse 6. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. And again, this is just laced with Old Testament. He is quoting from Isaiah 8 verses 14 through 15. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken." All right, so in verses four and five, he he owns up to the accusations. He he affirms what's happening. You heard right, John. And this was predicted. And then he rebukes John in verse 6. He says, don't be offended by my actions, John. Don't get caught in the snare of thinking that you have my kingdom pigeonholed. Don't be like everyone else who thinks they've got this whole thing figured out. Don't be offended by me. And then Jesus does something quite extraordinary. Right after John, you know, pretty publicly calls Jesus out, questions the authority of Jesus, Jesus goes on to praise John. And here we see our second scene, John's role, starting in verse 7. And as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowd concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. What did you expect when you went to the River Jordan to, to see? What did you expect to see in the desert? Did you expect a weakling that gets tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine? Did you expect to see an effeminate man who conditions his hair and wears fine clothing and maybe gets, his, gets a manicure or a pedicure, no offense if that's happened to you, um, and puts on perfume? What, what did you expect to see? No, you didn't expect to see those things. You expected a prophet. And what did you get? The ruddiest of them all, a man who ate bugs, a man who wore camel skins. He was a man of conviction, a durable man, a man who spoke for God to his people, a stubborn, immovable man. As we saw, it was John's own stubbornness that got him thrown in jail, right? Which is ironic because this immovable man of God Becomes a shaky read when the kingdom doesn't measure up to his expectations. Then at the end of verse 9, Jesus says that he is more than a prophet. Now, what's he mean? Well, let's, let's keep reading the passage here, verse 10. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. This is actually a quotation from Malachi 3. All right, so if you've got your Bibles open, keep your finger here in Matthew, but just turn back a few pages to Malachi 3. Verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, Yahweh, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So what did Jesus mean when he was saying that John was more than a prophet? He means he's the only prophet who was actually prophesied about. All the other prophets were prophesying. And so is John, but John had his own prophecy about him. But most importantly, of why he is more than a prophet is because of who he is directly preceding, God in the flesh. And then Jesus keeps going, you can go back to Matthew. Jesus keeps going, and he says something pretty seemingly ridiculous in the second part of verse 11. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater Than he. So, who's the citizens of the kingdom of heaven? Look to your left. Look to your right. He's talking about us. Those who believe, those who follow Jesus, they are, you are, us, we are. We're all citizens of the kingdom if we believe. He's saying that even if you are least in the kingdom of heaven, you're greater than even John the Baptist. How in the world are we greater than John the Baptist? Well, what was John's purpose? Well, his purpose was to testify, to predict, to be the forerunner for the one who was to come. Right? So what's our purpose? Our purpose is to testify to the one who came. We are greater than John the Baptist, not because we're so powerful, but because of the power that we bear witness to. John was bearing witness to an incomplete work, and we bear witness to the completed work of Jesus Christ. We bear witness to Jesus Christ in his perfect life, his satisfactory death, His all-powerful resurrection, his authoritative commission, and his promising ascension. That's what we bear witness to. Let's keep going in verse 12. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. Now, there's not enough time to go into the Greek of all this, but the main point of this verse is that the kingdom of God has been opposed, starting with John. But it is advancing. We should not be deterred. And this this goes well with the overall context of the whole passage, because look at the next verse. Look, Look at verse 13. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. Okay, so this is showing that the kingdom is forcefully advancing. And this has been predicted by all the law and the prophets. It is forcefully advancing, but there is opposition coming against it. And Jesus just spent a few chapters talking about the promising persecution to come to his disciples. Now, what was some of the opposition? Even in just the book of Matthew, we can go back further, but even in the book of Matthew, just with the start of John's ministry, we can look at the persecution, the opposition that has been coming. Just look at the religious leaders. Like Nathan talked about a few weeks ago, the the big 12 refs that throw their flags all over the place. That's, That's opposing the kingdom, isn't it? And then even Herod's imprisonment of John, that's opposition, isn't it? People thinking that, Jesus was coming to set up an earthly kingdom, that's opposition. And even the crowd's thinking that he was bringing physical prosperity, not righteousness. That's all opposing the kingdom. And then look at verse 14. This is, this is a turning point in the passage, pay attention. And if you are willing to accept it He is Elijah, who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Whenever Jesus says those words, let he who has ears, let him hear, we need to really hone in and focus on what he's saying. What's Jesus talking about here? Well, he's actually talking about, referring again to the book of Malachi. Go back to Malachi. Instead of going to chapter 3, go to chapter 4. Notice that he called John the Baptist Elijah. Malachi 4 verse 5 says... Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Friends, what is the day of the Lord? It's judgment day. It's when those who follow Jesus will receive eternal life and those who do not follow Jesus will receive eternal punishment. So what is Jesus saying here by referring to John the Baptist as Elijah and picking up on what's happening in Malachi? He's saying that John is right. He's saying that eternal judgment is coming. But John's timetable is just a little off. It's not time yet. But it is coming. Don't confuse the healing and the teaching and the beauty of the kingdom that Jesus has been proclaiming. Don't confuse that as softness. The kindness of Jesus is meant to lead to repentance before the coming judgment. The miracles and the eating with the tax collectors and sinners has a purpose. And it is for repentance because judgment is coming. John expected the Christ to come with guns a-blazing, but Jesus comes offering forgiveness before the judgment comes. But don't get it confused, judgment is coming. Israel has been shown amazing kindness. So after getting a second chance, so to speak, Who wouldn't want to repent? Who wouldn't want to? This is is, the kindness of God. is overwhelming. Who wouldn't want to repent to this? Of course I'm going to repent. But let's keep reading in Matthew 11. Our third scene. We saw John's doubt. We saw John's role. And now we're going to see the unrepentant generation. Look at verse 16. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. And Jesus here uses a metaphor of children. Now you can picture uh, kids playing in a park and trying to entertain each other. Some of the children start playing a flute and they're wanting their, their friends to start dancing. The friends just sit there, unmoved, while they're playing a flute. A flute, back in this time, was a happy instrument that would be played at weddings and people would dance to it. So the ones who play, who were playing the flute, they are trying to get their friends to dance, they kind of evaluate their situation. Well, okay, we play the flute and they didn't start dancing. If they're not dancing to a happy tune, maybe they're sad. So let's, let's sing them a song. Let, let's sing them the saddest song we know. And so they sing a dirge. And a dirge was a song that you sang at funerals. So they sing a dirge, but still their friends remain unmoved. And then the children say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. The unmoved children aren't happy. The unmoved children aren't sad. They're worse. They're apathetic. They're apathetic. So to tie this back to Jesus and John, between John the Baptist and Jesus, Jesus was the flute player and John was the dirge singer. Jesus ate and drank with tax collectors and sinners. And John the Baptist called Pharisees a brood of vipers. He was kind of the downer between the two. And in both scenarios, the children of Israel remained unmoved. They remain unresponsive to the good news of the kingdom. Jesus gives a little bit of explanation there in verse 18. Let's keep going. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. So instead of laughing or mourning, they responded by saying John was demon-possessed. And they said that Jesus was, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And so Jesus is explaining the situation here. What he's actually doing really is, is really closely paralleling Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 through 21. If a man has a stubborn, let me read this for you from Deuteronomy. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, this, our son, is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Did you catch that? Then all the men of the cities shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel shall hear and fear. So, why does Jesus say this? From his perspective, the children of Israel were calling him an unruly, gluttonous, drunk son of Israel who deserved to be stoned. That's how Israel was responding to the good news of the kingdom. And then at the end of verse 19, he gives a little nugget of wisdom here. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. What does that mean? Wisdom is defined by actions, not by what people say about you. Wisdom is defined by actions, not just by hearsay. So what he's saying is if you actually looked at the deeds of John the Baptist and himself, that's where true wisdom lies, not just in what Israel is saying about them. Israel is saying that John is demon possessed and Israel is saying that John was a glutton and a drunkard. So who wouldn't want to repent of their sins and turn to the kindness of God? Well, Israel, Israel doesn't want to repent. They are just apathetic. And then Jesus shares in our fourth scene, Jesus shares a glimpse of what is to come for their apathy. This is the consequences for the unrepentant. Look at verse 20. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, there will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. So what what does he do here? He, He gives us examples of where he played the flute, so to speak. Where he went and did miracles and proclaimed the coming kingdom to these cities. But what do they do? These towns remain unmoved. And because they remained unmoved, he pronounces utter destruction or woe to them. Which you may be familiar with this word. It's the same word that Isaiah used in Isaiah six. Woe is me when he is brought before the throne room of God. Woe is me for I am an unclean man. I am undone. I am torn apart at the molecular seams of my body. That's what Jesus is pronouncing on these apathetic towns. They will be undone from the seams because they did not repent even in the face of the good news of the kingdom. I've got some pictures uh, of these towns for us uh, today. There's Capernaum, Uh, that's Bethsaida, you can go to the next one, and uh, there's Chorazin. Not much happening there, huh? What we actually see here actually isn't even the same towns that were built back in Jesus' time. These are ruins of, of towns that came much later than these towns that Jesus... Talked about. Archaeologists age a city by how many layers underneath it. So, what happens is there's a town, it's built, and then it gets destroyed, and a new town gets built upon that, and that gets destroyed, and a new town is built upon that. So, it's kind of stacking up these layers, right? Well, when archaeologists were excavating Bethsaida in particular, the same layer from that was dated about the same time as Jesus, that, that layer of earth, was filled with char and ash. Jesus' woe coming to fruition, it seems. But why, why these towns? Why does he got to pick on Capernaum, Bethsaida, and Chorazin? Well, these towns were Jewish towns. What about Tyre and Sidon? What makes them so special? Why are they good? Why does Jesus bring up those cities? They were pagan Gentile cities. And you know, Tyre was actually the evil queen Jezebel's hometown. Remember her from the Old Testament, killing the prophets? Evil, evil queen. That Tyre was her hometown. And Jesus is saying that even Jezebel's hometown would have repented if I came and did those works, if I came and proclaimed the good news of the kingdom they would have repented. Gentiles would have repented. Sodom would have repented. That evil town from Genesis. They would have repented. But the children of Israel reject the Lord's kindness once again. So, what have we seen? John doubted because the kingdom wasn't bringing the judgment he expected. And Jesus affirms John and, but still promises coming judgment. John is actually right. Judgment is coming. Eternal judgment is coming to the unrepentant. And then he goes in our third scene, he, he shows how Israel was unrepentant. And then he proclaims the consequences in our fourth scene. He proclaims the consequences of the unrepentant. The eternal judgment that is coming to those who reject the good news of the kingdom. It's fitting that we kick off Advent today. It's kind of a downer. But in reality, we're missing the whole point. This was Israel's shot to repent and believe. Yahweh himself is here. The Christ, the promised one, has come. And instead of coming immediately with judgment and wiping everyone out, he comes with hope. This beautiful act of eternal kindness reveals how evil his people really are. Because even in this kindness, they reject him and will ultimately kill him for it. But such is the love of God. And that while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. Friend, the Lord's kindness is being extended to you today. If you have not repented and believed that God has provided a way of escape from the coming judgment through his son, that kindness is extended to you today. Don't be like these towns who are apathetic, repent. The kindness of the Lord is here today. Talk to someone today before you leave this place and ask questions. Repent now before it's too late because judgment, eternal judgment is coming. Believers, how should we respond? I think first, praise God that you have repented of your sins. Reflect on the kindness and the mercy of God to give us us repentance, the gift of repentance. And then keep repenting of sin. Keep killing sin. Flee from the sin that will be burnt with unquenchable fire on judgment day. Keep casting yourself on the grace and mercy and kindness of God. And then eh, dwell on God's coming judgment. Dwell on it. Take it seriously. Do you understand that judgment is coming to those around you who have not repented? You have the good news. Do they know it? I'll close with this quote from Martin Luther. He says, I have two days on my calendar, this day and that day, meaning judgment day. Live today in the light of judgment day, knowing that it is coming. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that we will respond in faith. God, I pray that we will respond even today. Maybe it's for the first time someone has responded in repentance. I pray that they would see the goodness and the kindness of Jesus. God, you have come and you have given us the mercy to repent now before judgment comes. And God, for us to just gloss over judgment, neglects the gospel. Jesus has no need to come if judgment is not coming. So Lord, I pray that we will respond if there is sin in our lives. As we are examining ourselves before communion, God, I pray that we will repent and flee from these sins that will be burnt with unquenchable fire on that day far be it from us to take part in an unworthy manner. I pray this in the strong name of Jesus, our deliverer and coming judge. Amen.